Hello, my field daisies. Welcome to the second episode of Daisy Days, the podcast. So I want to begin each podcast with a bit of a life lesson. So as I am transitioning into adulthood, I've come to realize that I know nothing and I am learning every single day. And maybe these life lessons will, I don't know, relate to you and inspire you as well. So I have currently been in a bit of a crossroads as to where my life is headed. Um, Some plans fell through in terms of my future, and now I am at a bit of an identity crisis of what I want to do for the rest of my life and what's going to make me happy. And so I feel like I am scrambling and that I am wasting time and that like I need to figure it out. Um, I'm the type of person that has to have plan A, plan B, plan C, plan X, Y, Z. And now I'm just up in the air and seeing where life takes me. Um, I'm starting new and exciting and scary things like this podcast. And a friend told me this week that destruction is the right hand of creation right? So we sometimes have to burn everything down to rise as a phoenix from the ashes. Um, Pivoting in life is completely normal. Starting new things is completely normal. Not knowing what the future is going to hold is completely normal. And so if you are sort of struggling right now in terms of what you want to do for the rest of your life, if you are trying to decide if you want to start a new job or maybe um, do something that you didn't necessarily major in in college, just realize that it's okay. Um, That's something that I have to keep telling myself um, day in and day out. And another thing that I've learned is that you really should take I said it. I said it. How ironic. Um, You really need to take should out of your vocabulary because it is tied with guilt and it it is kind of a meaningless and useless word because should have, could have, would have. What's the point? What's the point in um, wallowing in the past? If you didn't do something, you didn't do it because it just wasn't the time or it just wasn't uh, meant to be in a certain way or maybe you just weren't capable of it at the time. Um, so yeah, another word that um, I have been constantly told to take out of my vocabulary is try. Um, so I, uh, like I said, like with these life lessons, these are stuff that I'm learning too. So don't necessarily think that I have it all figured out as well. Um, but yeah, try as a word that sort of sets you up for failure, right? It, um, it, it means that you're giving yourself the option to not do it. And that's not really the right mindset to take when taking on tasks. You should say, I will do this. I will turn in this project next week. I will get the first draft done um, tomorrow or something. Of course, be reasonable with your expectations. That's something that I struggle with as well, is to really um, set goals for myself that I can reach instead of unattainable ones and then just beating myself up over not obtaining my goals. 
So yeah, it's funny that I say this because literally in the first few minutes of this podcast, you'll see that I literally say I'm going to try to do something. Um, so yeah, that brings me to uh, the topic this day of this podcast. Um, it's about gaming and video games. So um, I think it's going to be a really interesting ride. So let's get into it. All right. Roll the intro music. Thank you, Yar and Gibson, for that wonderful intro song, and thank you, my field daisies, for joining me um, on this second episode of my podcast. Today, I want to talk about something that I have loved from afar for a very long time, and something that I am currently trying to love up close. Um, it's video games. I want to talk about video games. And while I haven't played a lot, I genuinely do adore watching other people play. Uh, in general, I just I just love games. Uh, board games, card games, drinking games. Um, <laughs> I just feel like they bring people together and each time you play is something different. Even though the rules are the same, um, depending on the environment and the people that you're playing with, it can be a whole different experience. And and with video games, I do see the um, addicting nature of it, but in terms of helping with concentration, hand-eye coordination, it is really useful. Um, it's an active form of entertainment rather than just binge-watching an entire season of Friends. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I, I have always wanted to be good at video games, and slowly now I am starting to get into it. Literally just in this past week, uh, I hooked up my brother's old PlayStation 3 and I started playing Beyond Two Souls. Uh, it's a pretty old game. I think it came out 2013 and there wasn't much of a decision to it. It was just one of the games my brother had left lying around the house. And it had Ellen Page as the lead character, so after watching Umbrella Academy, it just seemed like the most appealing game, and I have loved it so far. And I'll get into more about why I like it and what's it about in my Media Obsession segment. But yeah, so uh, the whole process of trying to understand how a controller and console works is a bit stressful for me. Uh, and I know people who are avid uh, video gamers are probably just going, um, it's so easy, it's so intuitive. But for me, it's not. Uh, I think I've always had this stereotype in my mind that boys are allowed to play video games and girls aren't. So I never really tried or even thought about trying to understand um, how it all works. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I had to call my brother uh, because I thought the controller was broken when in fact I just needed to press the start button. And I uh, realized that you don't necessarily have to be hooked up to the console to play. Like I thought the USB cord, like you had to plug it in for the controller to work and that's not necessarily the case. Um, 
And yeah, uh, when I'm actually playing games. So I, I've played games before in the past, right? So I've played uh, Fortnite, Grand Theft Auto, and Rocket League. And whenever I'm playing a game, I, I don't know about you, but I have a really hard time just walking or running or driving. Um, I'm either looking at the sky or I'm walking around like I'm a drunk person. Like, like I can't necessarily walk in a straight line. And when I'm driving, I'm weaving in and out, hitting cars hitting lampposts whatever but I'm getting much much better um, especially just playing a game alone Um, I believe um, for those of you who want to start getting into video games I think I recommend actually maybe just playing by yourself um, because I personally get nervous playing games in front of other people Um, all the times that I've played games it's always been in a big group of people when someone is just like hey do you want to take a turn and I go for it and then just the pressure of um, I guess performance is really, really stressful. Uh, But yeah, this kind of brings me to some interesting news that's happening for gamers that I am really excited about because I think it might actually um, be beneficial for me. Uh, So last Tuesday, uh, March 19th, At the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco, Google actually announced that they are entering the gaming industry with their new streaming video game service, Stadia, that allows you to play games anytime, anywhere, over the internet. The quote-unquote Netflix of gaming. Uh, It's both a cloud gaming platform and a new piece of hardware. So it's an Wi-Fi-enabled controller that connects to the cloud. So you don't need a console. It's all through through the internet and the Stadia controller manages the game data rather than your local device. So that I think is incredibly interesting, especially for someone who do- who's just now getting into gaming and doesn't really want to learn um, how to work a console, how to install games, or even playing on my PC, getting graphic cards, all of that technology mumbo jumbo. Um, is kind of eliminated with Stadia. And the controller also has some cool features like an assistant button. So you can get in-game help from Google Assistant, uh, which is would be really, really beneficial for me. Um, it also has a capture button, which is really, really interesting, um, that allows you to save or share stream play directly to YouTube, which is, by the way, owned by Google. So I feel like Google is really tapping into the gaming community community on YouTube. And it's not even just the gaming community. I think I think YouTube is turning into a very game culture. Um, there are specific channels that are just dedicated to gaming, just people streaming and playing games. But more mainstream YouTubers are actually getting on the gaming trend as well. Uh, for example, uh, there's um, Jenna Marble. She's a comedic uh, YouTuber. She has her own YouTube gaming channel with her boyfriend, Julian. And Nikki Limo, she posts uh, gaming direct videos directly to her channel. And so, yeah, there, uh, Stadia seems like a really, really cool thing because they are, uh, allegedly going to launch supporting 4k resolution at 60 frames per second with the support of HDR and surround sound as well. So the tippy tippy top of, um, quality in terms of, um, being able to play your game. 
and uh, the way that they're pitching it is just so interesting. So basically, uh, Phil Harrison, the one that was giving the presentation on Stadia at the Game Developers Conference, he is the VP and the lead on Stadia. So he said that after a game trailer plays on YouTube, the end screen, which you know includes playlists of supplemental videos such as you know other trailers you might be interested in, the behind the scenes of the making of the game. It'll have all of that still, but then it'll also have an option to play on Stadia. So selecting that launches the game directly inside the YouTube video. Uh, the window just expands to full screen, and as he puts it, there is no download, no patch, no install, no custom hardware. Within five seconds, you can be playing the game. So yeah, it's it's really interesting how they're integrating YouTube into this whole process. It seems that they're more so tapping into the streaming industry rather than the gaming industry. Um, YouTube is a, a monopoly on user-generated video online. And um, even though Amazon's Twitch still kind of rules the live streaming um, area, uh, YouTube is still ultimately the place where uh, people post gaming related videos. So after you live stream on Twitch, you typically post the best moments on YouTube. And I think YouTube is trying to steal that live streaming demographic because that's where Stadia comes in. You can click a button and automatically start streaming. And Google really has the technology to kind of make this dream come to fruition. Um, it has a cloud infrastructure that very few companies have, uh, maybe Amazon's AWS or Microsoft's Azure. Um, but other than that, um, their um, ability to have custom server hardware and data centers, I think data centers are the really important thing that they have more computing and are be able to bring it to more people um, than anyone else. And so um, that's kind of their whole gimmick. That's what their whole entire empire is built on is just data centers. I mean, they started as a search engine and that itself is just so much data. And yeah, also with the search engine, they have the ability to spam us when um, the news of Stadia, whenever it officially launches, which I think is going to be fall of this year. And I just want to talk a little bit about why I am excited about this idea. So as someone who is a complete novice at gaming, like I said, I don't really want to figure out the hardware and the consoles and the installing the games. It just seems like an easy way for me to get into gaming. Uh, there is also this sense of instant gratification. And I think this is a way of thinking that has taken over our society. Time is the highest commodity um, nowadays because time is very precious. We pay uh, tons and subscriptions to Amazon so that we can have Prime and get things in two days or less. Um, and so the window for us... Um, wanting to wait for things has gotten smaller and smaller. 
I remember when waiting over two minutes uh, for dial-up, um, for a dial-up browser to load was normal. But now, if something doesn't load in less than a minute, I just move on. And I think the ability to move on is also really crucial. Like I was talking about in the first episode, we just have a plethora of choices these days. So if something doesn't work as fast as you need it to, you can just switch to something else. Um, for example, ride-sharing apps like Uber and Lyft. I tend to like to uh, use Lyft rather than Uber just because, you know, they have such um, controversy with how they treat their um, female engineers. But if there's a place that doesn't use Lyft or if Uber is significantly faster at um, getting me a, a ride, then it's a really hard dilemma of which one I choose. And it's depending on how much time I have and how much time I have to wait. Even our dating culture has become a, uh, a mind feel of instant gratification. The only way you can truly really meet people is through dating apps like Tinder or Bumble. And I've uh, dabbled a fair share in these dating apps and... Even I fall victim to um, someone not responding fast enough, so I just go on to a different match. And so it's just kind of like if someone doesn't respond, um, there are plenty of other people that will. Um, and I I don't know, that kind of way of thinking can be pretty toxic. Um but I can't help but be thrilled at the idea of playing a game instantly, of, of being able to take my controller anywhere and start at whatever chapter I'm on and just continue playing anywhere. Um, but on the flip side, this vision that Google is putting out seems a little too good to be true. And that's because it kind of is. Um, they haven't really given much details on how all the logistics will work in terms of cost or um, anything like that. And then a big, big issue that I think they haven't really addressed is people having fast enough internet to run the game without latency or lagging. Um, even though things are fast on their end and they have the infrastructure, um, people don't necessarily have um, high enough quality internet to really uh, play these games on the cloud. So uh, the, the whole basis of Stadia is kind of reliant on how good your internet quality is. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I really want to get into the nitty gritty of Stadia and some of the qualms I have with it, because while I am really excited, there are some issues that I do have. So and I also kind of just want to talk a little bit about its um, situation or its uh, situation is not situation. Um the way they are situated in the video gaming industry and if they do have the potential to overtake um, Microsoft or Sony and PlayStation Xbox. So yeah, um, I will be taking a little short sincere shout out break and then I'll be back to talk more about Stadia. Stay tuned. 
So these two sincere shoutouts are going to be dedicated to makeup products that I'm using. Since we're talking about video games, I figured I would cover all demographics and talk about makeup as well. Um, but yeah, I usually switch out my makeup products like my mascara and eyeshadows just to try new things. But I have not tried a new one of this product um, in a while like because I just love this one so much. So this is L'Oreal's Paris Makeup Magic Skin Beautiful fire bb cream um but yeah i've literally like i don't i have not tried any other bb cream in years because i just love this one so much and the reason why i like it is because um it comes out gray and then um you can um rub it on your fingers and it turns into the exact shade of your um skin tone and yeah it's it's so nice i sometimes even use it without foundation like just as like the foundation because it gives a pretty good coverage for a bb cream and it's a drugstore product, so you can find it literally anywhere. Um, CVS, Walgreens, Ulta, Sephora, Walmart, Target. Um, it comes in, uh, it's also on Amazon, by the way. Um, it is about seven bucks on Amazon. It comes in four shades. And it also comes in um, like anti-redness, anti-fatigue as well. So um, if you want to check that out, highly recommend. All right, back to the podcast. Okay, so we are back um so yes uh the calling stadia the uh netflix of gaming or video game streaming is a bit misleading because uh, when you're watching a movie or a tv show on netflix um your browser is actually downloading and buffering data ahead of what you're actually seeing so that smooths out all the irregularities and the connectivity um, but with video games, the very nature of it requires bi-directional activity. So traffic moves in the opposite direction at the same time. And if this is not fast enough, this creates latency or terrible lags. And with uh, streaming HD games in real time, the visuals cannot lag. Um, that creates a very terrible experience. Um, and Jared Walton from PC Gamer, he actually tested Stadia. And he says that um, latency is clearly present. So this is not the actual service. It serves a lot to um, develop. But um, he was playing Doom. And basically he was saying that in the training level, he died five times. And this was because of latency. Because he would aim at you know um, all these bad guys and that uh, he would miss because the game was lagging so by launching stadia uh, google is really relying heavily on um, like i said really high speed internet for people to have and that the connectivity of internet will continue to approve improve um, yes and so Google is claiming that it has a lot of relationships with um, ISPs, internet service providers, and that they can connect directly with the ISPs, meaning if you have like Comcast or Spectrum on your home cable modem, that Google will connect directly to that instead of sending it to an ISP network in the middle. And they said that is a way of improving connectivity and reducing latency. Um, but that's if the ISPs play nice. So since the FCC ruled um, about undoing net neutrality protections in 2018, service providers can now choose to charge certain companies more based on how much bandwidth they are using. And so the most obvious targets right now are people like Google with their widespread service network, server network, and um, their launching of Stadia. 
And so, yeah, they might have to pay a lot more for to give you access to the game. And while you might feel bad for Google, um, don't because they'll simply just give you the financial burden and the price of Stadia, the service itself will probably be, be higher than it needs to be. And we can kind of see this um, in Netflix because um, they were a big target for ISPs as well because um, they eat up a significant level of bandwidth. And we don't know, but it's, I mean, it's pretty likely that their own ISP costs have gone up, which is why your price has gone up. I don't know about you, but I've noticed that this, my subscription to Netflix is going to increase in like $2 in a couple months or something like that. Like, I think they're slowly rolling out higher prices, but it is happening. And of course, it might not just be due to ISPs, right? It might also be due to the fact that they are um, producing a lot of original high quality content. But yeah, so secondly, Google also claims to have an extensive um, geographic diversity, meaning that they have the largest internet backbones in the world, one of the largest, they have a lot of data centers dispersed um, everywhere. And so with the rise of what it's called like edge computing, basically meaning that Google is able to put um, computing resources physically closer to users, um, which they claim that will lower latency for users experiencing when they're streaming a game. And so this is cool and very accurate, but this only works if you are close to data centers. So I think a lot, the dem, the audience that Google is really leaving out is rural Americans um, that don't necessarily have the access to great internet. So Phil Harrison in an interview to Kotaku said that you would need about 30 megabytes per second if you want the um, 4K resolution. And if you are um, can settle for 1080p, you need approximately 25 megabytes. And rural um, residents, they have very few choices for internet providers, providers are none at all. Maybe they only have one provider. And so the FCC has a broadband benchmark, right, that speeds at uh, 25 megabytes per second and downloads of three megabytes per upload. And these speeds are not even readily available in these areas. 39% uh, of rural Americans lack home broadband access, the bare minimum, in contrast to only 4% of urban Americans. So yeah, and even so, even not just rural, I mean, the fastest, most reliable internet delivery system, fiber optics, is not even readily available in 70% of the country. And even Google has failed to fix this fiber problem. They are notorious for failed projects. Uh, Google Plus, which is their version of Facebook, never took off. Google Glass, their um, high-tech eyewear, never took off, which also makes me a little um, worried that Stadia might be another project that they are touting, but that they will not follow through with. Um, so, for example, they tried to fix the fiber optic problem by running Google Fiber in Louisville, Kentucky. And yeah, they vastly underestimated the technical scope. And so they dug and rolled out all these fibers into these shallow trenches, and then they just gave up. And so they later had to just take these wires out, which caused a major disruption to the city roads. And a lot of the wires and cables are still exposed. And yeah. This is just a huge physical representation of um, not only Google's um, 
inability to follow through, but also the digital divide, um, the gulf between those who already have access to computers and internet and those who do not have access to these information communication technologies and the fact that they are being left behind, whether it be participating in these new technologies like Stadia or even in politics or um, getting news in general. Um, but yeah, it's not even that. Um, it's not only just a digital divide, but it is an Android-Apple divide as well. This is something that I really, really can't get over. So and the only way to um, use Stadia on your TV is through Chromecast, which is basically Google's version of Fire Stick or Apple TV. And so the only way you can um, play on your TV is you have to get Chromecast and the Stadia controller. So you can use a USB controller when you want to go on your personal computer, but most people want to play video games on their TV. And so that is just, yeah. And so they also have no mention of iOS, right? So you can play uh, Stadia on your Google Chrome internet browser, 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 browser. Um, but yeah, other than that, you can't. And I think Google is sending this huge message that um, they just want everyone to understand just how vertically integrated Stadia is as a platform. It is your console, it is your controller, it is your video game directory, and it is also your streaming platform. And so there is really a shift nowadays um, from uh, service to ownership when it comes to the gaming industry. So in the past, it's always been about ownership. You buy a game, you download it, and you have it forever. But with Stadia, you're entirely reliant on servers for your game, and you're banking on the fact that the platform will not only offer them online forever, but also be online forever. And, you know, with Google's failed projects, it's hard to say if Stadia will stick around. And it is even harder to say that these games will be online forever because that's never ever the case. There are always new versions of games coming out and old ones are always fizzled out. So if you like a version of a game, you can't necessarily bank on Stadia to have it forever. And so it's really hard for me to think about consumers really backing this, especially since um, there's no announcement of what kind of games are going to be on Stadia. Um, then that's because um, developers still have to agree to code games for the platform. And so, I mean, this is not even um, just Google, right? So even Apple is trying to turn gaming into a service. Um, they just recently introduced Apple Arcade, which is the world's first game subscription service for mobile, desktop, and your living room. Um, they are expected to launch this fall uh, at the same time as Stadia in more than 150 countries. So with Stadia, they're only going to be available in the United States, Canada, UK, and most of Europe is what they say. But yeah, so Apple Arcade, the way it's different is that you download the games, which is why I think they are um, making themselves available um, in more countries because uh, the, a lot of places don't have high enough internet for real-time um, gameplay. And yeah, and Apple is doing a weird thing too where they're also announcing like subscriptions to like Apple TV+, Plus, Apple News+, Plus, even a credit card. So I don't know exactly what they're doing, but we're not talking about Apple today. We are talking about Stadia. And so while, um, so I don't, you know, play games often, right? So a subscription service doesn't necessarily seem that worth it to me. 
Um, and I feel like that might be the case for a lot of consumers who are sh- or who are experiencing what uh, people are calling subscription fatigue, meaning that there is subscription services for everything, right? And so I have subscriptions to Amazon, Hulu, Netflix. I can't afford HBO, so I don't have that. But everything is a subscription. And Stadia, if it there's no mention of their pricing or if it is going to be a subscription service, but if it is... I don't know how much consumers are going to be buying into it, right? So, yeah. At the end of the day, I like to say that nothing goes away forever, especially in the media industry. Um, When television first got introduced, people were deathly afraid that it would take over the movie industry. But they found a way to coexist. And oops, I hit my mic there. Um, But yeah, I think this is probably going to be the case for Stadia as well, especially in rural areas where internet streaming is not as good. And um, the fact that gamers like to own their own games. And um, yeah, I don't think it is necessarily going to consume and take over the entire gaming industry, especially since I believe um, Sony and Microsoft are also working on their own um, kind of uh, live stream gaming stuff as well. And the fact that they have been in the industry for so long, um, getting people who are like prefer PlayStation or Xbox to switch is going to be pretty different. So it might just be a supplemental thing, depending on how cheap the controller is or how cheap it is to rent a game online. It might be something that they play in addition to their original games. Um, So yeah, now uh, we're going to take another short little sincere shout out break and then I will get back to wrap up the (laughs) podcast. wrap up the podcast with my latest media obsessions. All right, don't go away. So this last sincere shout out has to go to a recent makeup love that I have been dying over. Um, So there's this new trend called highlighting, right? Highlighters are the rage nowadays. And I have to say, this is the most blinding highlight I have ever used. Better than Fenty, I have to say. I know that's going to be controversial, but um, yeah. So this is called Pat McGrath Labs. That's the brand. It's a makeup, I think it's a London makeup artist. Um, the, 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 The highlighter apparently it's made in Italy but um so this is their subline skin highlighting trio I got it from Sephora and it comes in so there's three highlights right like this is a a dark gold one a light gold one and then this shimmery purple pink one and yeah they're amazing um if you want to try them out I highly recommend like I said it's a bit pricey but most definitely worth it all right back to the podcast So, like I said in the beginning of the podcast, I have been loving Beyond Two Souls. It's a PlayStation game, um, and it is an interactive drama action adventure game following the life of Jodie Holmes, played by Ellen Page. So, her soul is linked to an entity called Aiden, and this psychic link to him gives her supernatural powers, and so she kind of has a very similar story to Eleven in Stranger Things, like, even when she accesses her psychic powers, her nose bleeds a little bit um but yeah but she instead of kind of running away and living um 
you know of childhood life or whatever she actually joins the cia and uh so her life is a bit more action-packed than 11's and so it follows um 15 years of her life i think from the age of 8 to 23 and it is a non-chronological um gameplay so you kind of go um from the future to the past um and um just kind of going through little chapters of her life and using aiden to kind of help her through these obstacles and what I really like about the game is that there is no game over. So the creator, David Cage, he always felt that game over is a state of failure more for the game designer rather than the player. So in action games, this makes sense because it's all about skill. But in a story-driven experience, it doesn't really make sense. And I kind of have to agree um, because... For me personally, um, I just, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm still learning how to play games. And so a lot of the times I don't necessarily complete the mission to fruition, I guess. Um, and so I have been playing a lot of alternate endings, which are available in Two Souls. So if you don't necessarily complete the chapter, the game's not over. You just experience a different um, um, path that Jody goes on. Uh, so for example, there is this condenser chapters, what are condenser is what it's called and basically uh jody gets woken up by um her um quote-unquote like uh i guess dad figure but he is more of a scientist kind of taking care of jody um much like in 11 uh stranger things uh but yeah so basically he wakes her up he takes her he's like oh my god the lab is on fire um the entities have gotten out we need someone to go in there and i only trust you and so she goes in and has to basically get to the um control center to i don't know fight the entities and turn off the system or something I did not make it out, so I don't know exactly what happens at the end. Um, I just got to um, stopped at this freezing room with a bunch of um, zombie entity-controlled scientists, and so yeah, I I uh, I didn't complete it, but the game didn't stop. I just ran out of the lab in an alternate ending, um, and yeah, there's there's lots of those. So like, there's also this um, thing where she's on a train and. Um, she ran away from the CIA and these guards are trying to find her. And so if you don't escape the guards, you are trapped um, in like the train and have to get out that way. But if you do um, escape the guards, you go through this um, fight sequence on top of the train. So it's not even like the alternate endings are bad even. Like you just don't get to experience another part of the game, which is what makes it really, really fun to me. Uh, but yeah, I'm slowly but surely working my way through that. Like I said, I don't play video games too, too much. I wouldn't necessarily call myself a video game addict. Um, I get pretty fatigued after an hour or even an hour and a half. I'm like, all right, I have to go do something, um, mind numbing, um, like binge watching. So I have been rewatching, uh, New Girl. This is such an old show, but, um, I've never finished the last season. And so I really wanted to rewatch the whole, um, show so that the last season would feel a bit more close and special because I really loved it when it came out and I've followed it pretty religiously. I just kind of um, fell off towards the last few seasons. Because um, I mean, it did kind of give um, the, the vibe kind of got weird when, you know, Cece and Schmidt got married and then Nick and Jess have their whole relationship thing. But yeah, no, I really want to finish it and see how the story ends. And I love the fact that we can do this in this day and age. Like I remember when I was a kid and I would watch Friends, it was always on cable. And so it was always on Nick at night. And so I never knew what episode or what season I was in. I would just have to jump in and um, follow it. And that's especially hard to do um, if, 
other kind of genres with sitcoms it kind of works out but yeah I would have loved to be able to sit down play season one episode one of friends and just watch it through but yeah um other than that what else have I been doing Ooh, okay so another Netflix thing that I have been watching is called uh dating around So it's a Netflix dating show um, where a person goes on five blind dates and has to pick one to go on a second date with. And it is unlike any dating show I've ever seen because it doesn't incite artificial drama. So it feels real. And it's shot beautifully. It kind of have a, has like a master of none vibe um, when, you know, they go through the montages and stuff like that. Um, yeah, the five dates just flow seamlessly into one another and they switch from one to another. And so, yeah, it's really entertaining. There's a new person on every episode. And um, yeah, you don't even get to see the second date, which I really like. It's just kind of, um, it, it kind of allows... Um, I guess the freedom of the two people to kind of do what they want to do, I guess. And you don't necessarily have to follow them through um, some fake drama of, you know, there's no like proposal at the end of the episode. Um, But yeah, they really portray what it's like to go on a first date. And that's drama in itself. And the first season is pretty diverse, too, in terms of the types of people who are the, the, I guess, quote-unquote contestants. Um, There's a lot of different demographics and sexualities, which I really, really like. And, yeah, in terms of music, uh, so there is this one song. um, It's a new song by Dylan Gardner. He's a bit of an unknown artist, I would have to say. He's done some work with some YouTubers and stuff. But I I knew him before I knew he was um, doing stuff with YouTubers. Like, I, uh, I think his song, Let's Get Started, I don't even remember how I heard it, but I would replay that song constantly. And that's the song that kind of got him famous. Like it got like over like 10 million streams or something. And that's kind of what propelled him. But yeah, his new song is called Dip. And he usually has like sort of an indie rock, alternative rock feel to his music, I would say. But Dip is actually a lot more smoother and cooler of a vibe. And I really like it. It sounds like a very mature version of Dylan. And yeah, apparently his his hair is blonde now. So I guess he's going through a cool boy phase. Um, (laughs) But yeah, if you like um, that kind of music, I guess you should check it out. I really like Dylan. He has, the reason why I like him is because his voice is really catchy and his lyrics are good too. And so are the beats. So in terms of what else? Um, books, I'm still reading Sapiens, but I kind of, um, so I've been reading two books at once, actually, um, and the other one was Silver Linings Playbook, which I just finished last night, actually. Finally finished it. I've been reading it for a couple weeks now. Um, I borrowed it from my friend Maggie, so thank you so much for letting me borrow this book. But yeah, it's the book that, um, the movie, um, Silver Linings Playbook was based off of with, uh, Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence. And for those of you who don't know, it's about a guy named Pat. He spends two years of his life in a mental institution after a violent mental breakdown when he catches his wife cheating on him. And so he blacks out that moment and the, and he spends the whole book and slash movie striving to be a better person to get his wife Nikki back. And so um, there's a girl named Tiffany, which is his friend's wife's sister, and she's also going through her mental battles after her husband passes away. But she convinces Pat to enter a dance competition with her in exchange for her giving letters to his wife for him. And it turns out she was actually the one writing the letters, but um, in a way, it kind of helps Pat get over his wife. And the book, I have to say, is vastly different from the movie. So I watched the movie first. 
And I really, really liked the movie. But now after reading the book, I definitely like the book more. Um, so it's, uh, so the dance competition in the movie is like the pinnacle point, right? And there's a, it's an actual competition, you can win it. But in the book, it's like just a dance competition for, uh, it's like called the, the, the dance, um, contest, I guess it's called Dance Away Depression. And it's, um, it's an exhibition. So there weren't really any prizes. And that was like in the middle of the book. And then, um, yeah, in, in, in the movie, there's like a whole bet made between, um, uh, Pat's father and someone else. Like if they won the dance or something that they would get money, I don't know. None of that is in the book. Um, Pat's father doesn't even come to the dance. And yeah, in, in the movie, Nikki is also at the dance, but in the book, she never appears. And so, yeah, I don't know. I think there's always the dilemma when movies make um, book adaptations because for me, I have yet to really find a movie that does it better than the book. Like I'm satisfied if they meet the book expectations, but there's never been one that's like been better in my opinion. Um, and I think that's because uh, the most successful way in my opinion to make a movie is to follow the book closely just because I feel like there's so much richness in literature that gets lost in the Hollywood movie movie um, scheme, I guess, because um, the movie feels very feel-good, romantic comedy-ish, while the book feels a bit more real. Like, the ending is just Tiffany and Pat lying in a soccer field, and Tiffany is saying how much she needs Pat, and he finally says, I think I need you too. And that's the end of the book. In, in the movie, they, like, have this whole romantic kiss. He, like, chases her, like, um, out into the street. And there's just, you know, it's just different. Both are good. But like I said, um, the the um, the book just feels um, more based in reality to me, which is why I like it more. Um, but, yeah, I just feel like it's more real and truthful. Um but I, I do like movie adaptations of books. I think they're really, really cool. Like Fault in Our Stars, I loved their adaptation of the book. Like I think that's a pretty good one that they did it pretty well um, because they followed the book pretty, pretty well. Um, I am excited for Disney's adaptation of the Artemis Fowl series. I don't know if any of you read this, but I read these books when I was a kid and I loved them. So when I heard that Disney was doing an adaptation, I was, I'm like beyond excited. I cannot wait to see what they do with um, the novels. Um, but yeah, maybe I'll talk about that um, a little bit more, maybe in a different episode whenever they start um, releasing more news about it. But yeah. We have reached the end of the podcast again. <sighs> Yay. <laughs> um, I'm still getting used to um, trying to post on a daily schedule, but I think what I'm going to do is post every Wednesday. Um, so don't hold me to that yet. I'm still trying to figure out um, what the best plan is. But yeah, currently the plan is every Wednesday. So, um, if you want to take a look at my, um, Patreon, I would highly, highly appreciate it. Basically, Patreon is a GoFundMe for, uh, creators and their fans. So if you want to support me and my podcast endeavors, I would really love to reward you with bonus content and, um, 
yeah, rewards. So uh, if you want to check that out, I think you can just go on my website, which is daisyishdays.com. And then I have a little icon for Patreon on my uh, homepage. But yeah, um, we are going to roll the credits. And afterward, I am going to be reciting a little poem. So if you're not into poetry, uh, you can skip on to the next episode. But if you want to have a little um, poetry in your day, I would stick around. All right. Love y'all. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a daisyish day. Hello, my poem enthusiast field daisies. Um, today I want to read a poem about instant gratification since we talked a lot about how Stadia might offer us video games with a snap of our fingers and how instant gratification is sort of the way of living that we have grown accustomed to and it is pretty evident in this poem that there are lots of examples of us wanting things quickly and now. So let's get started. Instant Gratification by Deborah Downs Instant coffee, microwave meals, quick pick lotto. The faster, the better is society's motto. Fast food, faster cars and service, waiting at all will make us too nervous. ATMs, drive through windows, internet hopping, choose many sorts of one-stop shopping. Test to babies, mail order brides, even personal ads. Has living itself become a mere fad? Same day delivery, photos, and surgery, such claims often prove to be but a pre jury. Whatever happened to haste makes waste. How can we enjoy without savoring the taste? Instant gratification is truly ironic. Nothing good comes easy is a much better logic. God made it all in only one week. Through our feeble attempts, is it his power we seek? <laughs>